listening to the Sly Dog Music Cast. Now here's your host, the Sly Dog. Hello and welcome back to the Sly Dog Music Cast. I'm your host, the Sly Dog. And joining me for a part two is John Lamorell from The Hustle. How you doing, John? Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me back. I love talking about Joe. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk more about Joe Jackson today. So for those of you who listened to the episode that came out two weeks ago, we went through his first album right up through Big World in his like kind of pop canon, just discussing going through the songs and going through like, you know, what he, where he was at in that phase of his career. So if you're jumping in here, go listen to that one first. But if you listen to that one, this is where we're going to kind of pick up where, where we left off. We're going to go from Blaze of Glory right up to Fool. So you ready to jump in, man? I am ready. Yes. All right. So just to kind of a lead up to Blaze of Glory. Uh, so he's done Big World. He did a, he did that instrumental record, which the name escapes me again. <laughs> I couldn't think of it last time. Uh, Will yeah, Will Power. Will Power. Yeah, he did Will Power, <laughs> and then he did Tucker. He did the uh-huh. Tucker soundtrack, and we're coming. And he, at that point, he's coming up on ten years of like being in the music industry, like ten years on A and M, uh, ten years of making albums. So I feel like he was probably in a bit of a reflective mood when he put out Blaze of Glory. April 1989. This one's kind of a concept album about people from, from like his age group. And mm-hmm. it's probably even a bit more straightforward pop than the last record was, mm-hmm. uh, Big World, at times. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I find this one not as immediate as the previous albums. It takes mm-hmm. a few listens to really unlock this one for, for me. And even then, like, I, I gave it another listen today. And like, it's, it's not bad. It's just, I don't know what it is. Something about it, it just feels almost inaccessible to me in a way. And I don't know why that is, but uh, there are songs out here. I really like, um, I think down to London was a great single and yes. uh, it's a great slice of like sophisticated pop as it's known. Uh, yes. It kind of makes me think of the part in the book where he's talking about wanting to move to London and get out of Portsmouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think sentimental thing is kind of a harbinger of things to come. It's interesting to have someone else singing lead vocals on that song, uh, Drew mm-hmm. Barfield. Uh, 19 Forever I thought was a funny song kind of poking fun at aging rock stars mm-hmm. uh, and the vi- I guess the video for that is supposed to like be really funny like he wore like a prosthetic like Big Valley and like a bad wig and was like making fun of aging rock stars I never saw it I was trying to find it on YouTube but forgot all about that yeah that was the song that uh, got played on 
alternative radio in my town. So I never, I never heard Down to London, even though I think that's actually a stronger single. Um, but the one that got played was Blaze was a uh, 19 Forever, and I remember there being a video, but I don't remember what it was. I haven't seen it in years. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I f- I found it on YouTube, but it's blocked for some re- reason. I don't know why mm-hmm. Universal would do that, but uh, they have uh, they have their reasons, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the title track a lot. That's going to be my pick from the album. of someone who rose to fame really quick and burned out and I couldn't help but think of Kurt Cobain when I hear it because you know that's not too far down the road after this and um, my least favorite is gonna be Discipline like I don't know Mm -hmm. why like the lyrics I like the lyrics but there's something about that song like it really grates on me it's Mm -hmm. like it's like here's the thing I like industrial music I like Nine Inch Nails I like Marilyn Mm -hmm. Manson Uh, but that song sounds like industrial and it just doesn't work I don't know, and I don't know why, but because usually he can get, he can usually kind of fit into whatever mold he's trying to stick himself in. But that one just, yeah, I don't know. But overall, yeah. that's kind of my thoughts on the album. What do you think? Um, I disagree. I think it's actually a really solid pop album for him, especially considering that he dips his toe so delicately inside pop music versus something else. Uh, you liked Big World more than I did. I thought those songs actually would have benefited more. From, a, from production like what was happening on Blaze of Glory as opposed to the sort of dry, I don't know, uh, just bloodless production to me of the live yeah. setting that they had. That was just me though, because I think those are strong songs. I just think they were underserved. Whereas this uh, group of songs are served by the production. And yes, it's late 80s, but that's okay with me. I love the sound of the late 80s, you know what yeah. I mean? So yes, I'm with you. Down to London is a fantastic uh, single and 19 Forever was a really good one too. I agree with you on discipline. I feel like it's a, I don't know, there's a, there's a word that's going to come up a lot. I, as I go through all these albums and I pull out my least favorite, the common thread through all of them is the word silly. I feel like sometimes, <laughs> I feel like sometimes Joe 
sometimes he can be really clever and sometimes his sense of humor to me sort of falls with a thud. And when it does, it's just a little silly. And this is one of those songs that he was trying to be sort of, I don't know, almost hip hop, hip hop-ish or something. And it just, it's too incessant. I don't like it. The other one that's on this album that I'm not too crazy of is Best I Can Do, which is just okay. a little too syrupy for me. But um, Down to London and Me and You Against the World are my two picks, probably Me and You, number one. rhythm guitar riff that happens throughout the song. And um, I, I do think this, something about this album, I know what you mean, there's something a little dense about it. It almost feels, going back to Big World, as being like a little bit of work to get through yeah. all the way. Um, maybe because it's almost an hour long. But I do feel like when you break it down track by track, they're all almost all really strong. And so I like this album a lot. Yeah, like, here's, here's the thing, and we said this in the last episode too, even my least favorite Joe Jackson album is still, that's better than some people's best albums. Yes. Like, this is still a really strong record for him. Mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately it didn't quite, like I think the fans received it well, but he was not happy with like the sales and the mm -hmm. way it was promoted by a and I've got a quote from him here where he says, I went through a really, I went through a period of being really angry and frustrated about it. I know for a fact that if the record company had done the right job, it would have been a much more successful album. A lot of people who understood what I was doing, had supported me, were gradually leaving A&M and a different kind of mentality established itself. I was kind of taken for granted. The attitude was, old Joe's got his cult following and they'll buy his records anyways, so we'll just throw it out there and not really go the extra mile to broaden that audience. Mm. And that's kind of sad because uh, I feel like that this, I don't know that anything really charted for him after this, like singles wise, mm. like even on the next record, I don't think. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but yeah, it's kind of unfortunate that that happened because, you know, that, that seems to be a common theme in pop music. Like when yeah. the times change, the old guard is kind of forgotten. Well, you know, I love Joe, but let's, let me play devil's advocate for a minute. I mean, if you're a, if you're a record company and you have a guy who you had a couple of hits with in the early 80s, and soon after that guy abandons pop music structure, playing by the rules, you know what I mean? Yeah putting yeah. out a, a straightforward follow-up pop album. And instead he goes and does things like Willpower and Tucker soundtrack. And you know, I love uh, uh, Body and Soul, yep. but it's not a straightforward pop album either. And so it's kind of like, well, I don't, you're not going to play our game, Joe. So why do, should we have to play your game? You know, you want us to support you when you go out on every artistic whim you ever have, 
But then you also want us to shovel a lot of money when you want when you feel like doing our kind of pop music and make you big again. And it's like you don't get to do all those things. If you want to do a little bit of everything, you're going to have to pay the price, which is a, you know not big widespread um, success with every move you ever make. You know what? That's a totally valid point, actually. Like, and being someone that's in the industry, I can see it from that perspective too. Now that I think about it. Yeah. He wants it both ways. He wants yeah. to play the game by his rules, but then he also wants the support for to become more successful. And it's like, you don't really get to do both. Not everyone does anyway. You're lucky you've got enough fans out there that'll buy your crappy Duke album, <laughs> you know, so that you can go do other things, you know? So, oh, man. <laughs> anyway. I get I get the feeling whenever you and I do podcasting together, that Duke album is just going to be the butt of all our jokes. <laughs> You're probably oh. right. <laughs> oh God! It, it, at least, it, at least it's better than the Duke. Oh, That's true. <laughs> oh God! And I got yeah. one last interesting tidbit on the album. At least mm-hmm. I kind of found it interesting. When he went out on tour for this record, every night he played the entire thing. Like mm. he'd, he'd start with a, like a set of hits, then he'd do the whole album, and then he'd end with a few more hits. Mm. So I thought I think that's interesting. He really like he really believed in this enough to like yeah. actually like you know here's the whole thing in your face. Like that's a yeah. big you know that's a bold you know. move. And yeah. you know it's interesting. If I had paid to see Joe in 1989, I probably would have been really pissed off. However, if he were to come through my town now and play this album start to finish, I would love it. I would probably pay double. Because now it's kind of an interesting, you know, now it's a, it's a nostalgia piece. Whereas right. in real time, it's like, I, didn't, I don't want this. I want the old stuff, you know, play right. Luke Sharp. So anyway. Right. It's one of those things like where you go see someone for the first time and uh, like, it's kind of hard. Cause like you've built them up. Like you want to see them play these songs that you love. And then it's like, now here's the new thing. <laughs> here's the new thing. I, I haven't had that happen to me yet because honestly, like, God, this sounds so bad, but a lot of the artists I like are kind of in their greatest hits phase. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, the, so I've gotten pretty lucky with set lists yeah. so far. But I could, I could see someone going to a show and just being like, "What, what the, what the fuck? No, no, <laughs> no slow song. What the hell?" Right. I know. Especially if I haven't, if I don't know that album very well yet, and it's just, right. tw- it's a full hour of twelve songs I don't know, and I, you know, anyway. I yeah, could, I could see it. Yeah, but overall, Blaze of Glory, good album, just not my favorite. But this next album, man, this one, this one is special to me. Laughter yeah. and Lust. Can you spare that tree? We gotta save this world, stop them with your land Who was a record roll millionaire from the USA? Two and three to the gallon in a big white car And he sang and he sang till he polluted the air And he blew a lot of smoke from a Cuban cigar And the stars are looking down Through a hole in the sky And if they can see they cry Hippie to believe in peace That's obvious It's obvious 
went out and like got this right after listening to your podcasts mm-hmm. with uh, Joe's guitarists mm-hmm. after hearing that snippet of Stranger Than Fiction. New label, uh, Virgin, on this album. Uh, to me, this album is one of his best. It's his most, acce- mm-hmm. most accessible album since Night and Day. It's very catchy. Tom T. Lee on guitar, less backing musicians. Uh, it's very bright and punchy. I feel like it's a there's little bits of his past spread throughout the album. There's punk. There's kind of like the uh, salsa in there a little bit. There's mm-hmm. the piano driven stuff. Uh, highlights. Where do I begin? Uh, obvious song is great. You don't have to be a hippie to believe in peace. What a great lyric mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, well is a great cover of a Pete Wood, mm-hmm. Peter Green Fleetwood Mac song. Stranger than fiction might be one of the best pop songs. No one's ever heard. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's my pick. song is catchy it's yeah. perfect and that and those lyrics that bridge when love grows it grows like a flower it grows like a tumor love shows that god has a sense of humor that's it's he's brilliant like he what's up with lines with that it's perfect that i it's so funny i have that exact line written down because i think that's one of the greatest li- lyrics ever that and um um i love her so much i wish she'd just go away <laughs> right. which is another i mean like it or not, we've all felt that way. It was like, man, I would be so much happier. I was so much better off before you entered my life because I love you a lot and it's totally messing with me. You know, <laughs> I just, I loved it. It was so insightful. Yeah, it really is. It's brilliant. And man, the hits don't end there. Hit single to me is a funny song about being a one hit wonder or mm-hmm. it kind of works in like double tandem as a guy who's not having much luck in the relationship department. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I noticed about this record. I could, it could almost be a concept record in that, to me, it seems like a relationship kind of crumbles as we get to the end of the album. And then when you hit the other me, which is this beautiful, sad ballad, uh, it totally falls apart. And the, the rest of the album to me is very sad. When you, mm-hmm. re, when you reach Drowning, it's a very heartbreaking ending to the album. Like it, It's mm-hmm. almost like, I, I, I have no way of confirming this, but it sounds like the character he's embodying is going to kill himself at the end of the record. Mm-hmm. And, then you, and then you hear the, what, the waves at the end. It's very eerie. Mm-hmm. And the, but man, I, I love this thing. I play it a lot. Uh, I played it again today, like getting ready for this. I just cannot get enough of this record. Absolutely mm-hmm. love it. What do you think? I agree 100%. This is 
probably my sentimental favorite of Joe's. This is the one that I finally bought in real time. So, in fact, I think I stole it, if I'm honest about it. <laughs> I think I stole it from Raspberry Records in Salt Lake City. And, um, but yeah, I had finally, I had loved everything I'd heard up to this point, and this came out, and I just thought, what am I doing? I want this. Obvious song was getting played on the radio. It is such a great rocking single. There, there is not a single dud on this album. The, you know, we were talking last time about how basically every album since uh, I'm the Man has some concept angle to it. And even you could even say those first two in a way were concepts. They weren't really, but that was Joe. Joe sort of started much like the police started, where they thought, well, we're musicians, but punk and reggae, and those are the things that are really happening right now. So we'll do those things too to kind of get our feet in the door, you know? And that's right. kind of what Joe was doing. But anyway, originally, I think, as you noticed, the second part, the side two of this album is sadder and more mellow than side one yeah. and so that's the idea is that the first side is laughter the second side is lust and uh, but i just there is not a single dud i listen i've listened to this album more than any other joe album by far i uh, i love every song if i were to pick a favorite i don't i guess jamie g maybe it's just ah, a fun nice. you know it's, it's just a fun two minute quick pop song i just love it I love drowning a lot for like the almost opposite reason. It's a gorgeous, you know, five minute, very meaty, very emotive ballad. So yeah, I really do love every song. I think if I were to pick a weak one, and it's not super weak, but hit single would probably be um, my least favorite only because I don't know, it, it has a slight bit of silliness to it, but I still like the tune a lot. You know? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from. It's it's hard for me to pick a least favorite. It's yeah. funny. I like Jamie G, but that's the one I would have picked as my least favorite. Mm. But it's still a fun little bouncy little pop song. Jamie G, I want you. It's yeah. incredibly catchy. Yeah. And uh, there's two more things I wanted to point out on this thing. Uh, first is The Other Me. Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned what I, how much I love that song, but how has a country artist not covered this? Like, I could just mm -hmm. see a country artist having a huge huge hit with this song. Like, even today, like, you could take someone like Luke Bryan and have him cover this. Good point. I guess we can still be friends. Guess we can talk at least. But if we were 17, imagine the thing 
would be great for Joe, obviously. But, so yeah, I think that's a great yeah. thing. And the other thing is the the back half of the album almost feel like feels like we're setting up for night and day two with mm. My House and Drowning and uh oh, fuck what's the song after the other me? Uh Trying to Cry. Trying to Cry. Yeah. It feels like we're setting up for night and day two in a way. Yeah. So yeah, yeah just a interesting I love this. Uh, this uh this one in Body and Soul are my two favorite albums of Joe's by far. They're the ones I've spent the most time with and I just consistently enjoy over and over again. Nice. Now, just to wrap up Laughter and Lust, great record, I agree with you. Uh, he toured heavily to support this one, even recorded a video album, which uh, I've seen snippets of on YouTube. It's mm -hmm. really good. He had a great band at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately after this, he slips into a bit of a writer's block <sighs> and goes into a really dark place, like according to his book, where he almost couldn't even listen to music, which is... As someone that listens to music as much as I do, I can't imagine like feeling that way. Like it must have been rough. Yeah. Like, and he basically went into a period of doing more classical stuff. He did mm -hmm. night music, which I previewed a few songs from. So there's some there's some popish stuff on there, but it's not really a pop album. Mm -hmm. And then he did the symphony album. No, wait, I skipped one. He did the the heaven and hell thing, and then he did the symphony album. And that basically spans his 90s. Like, he basically yeah. spends the 90s not doing pop music. No. And the first thing he does outside of that is he does a live record uh, called Summer in the City. And that's mm -hmm. kind of him dipping his toes back into pop. But then eventually, when we get to uh, October 24th, 2000, we get the sequel to Night and Day, Night and Day 2. record i feel like he wasn't totally ready to let go of those classical elements because yep. there's still a lot of strings on this album there's no actual guitar on the album again 
But I think it's a cool record. The songs flow together like the first night and day. I like the way Hell of a Town kicks things off. Stranger Than You is a great accessible pop song. from his like latter part of his career it's really good really funny talking about the street performers in new york um why has a guest vocalist an opera singer named susan dame i hope i said that name right it's very operatic kind of blends the pop and classical thing glamour and pain is a cool song sung by a drag performer named dale devere um i like that song a lot but i think it would i think joe could have pulled it off himself i could see him embodying that character like I don't know. I have a weird thing about the guest vocalists on this record mm. at times because mm. I feel I feel like I got a Joe Jackson album. What's going on? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, mm. it's an interesting record. It's not one of my favorites per se, but I think it's really good. I've been listening to it a lot, even though it's not quite that high on my list. There's a lot of stuff I mm. like on here. Uh, I like the way Stath closes things out. It's kind of you know, you know, New York is crazy, but I think I'll stay type thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I feel on this one. What do you think? Um, I agree with your thoughts on uh, talk about dipping foot a foot back in the pool. I do think, let me ask you this. If this album wasn't called Night and Day 2 and it was called, I don't know, Symphony Number no. 4 or whatever, would you, would it even, I would, see, I, I feel like it would continue the, the, the role that he's on of putting out more symphonic music. I think the fact that he named it Night and Day 2 sets an expectation that this is a return to pop music or a return to at least, you know, four minute songs or whatever with structures and hooks and all that kind of stuff as opposed to the classical stuff he's been doing. I always sort of like this album. I never disliked it, but in listening to it um, to get re- again to get ready to talk to you, it was not hitting me as strongly as it had before. And I think it's because it just felt too, it felt too closely aligned with his symphonic work versus his pop work. And that symphonic stuff, unfortunately, is just not very good. Most of it from the 90s. Yeah. yeah to me, anyway. Night music is terrible. Heaven and Hell is not great. Symphony Number no. 3, I think it's called, is probably the best one of the three. But it's really? just not great. That's, Interesting. That's Interesting. my take on it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's my take. But anyway, I, I do think it's interesting. And, and another thing I wanted to mention, I think it's twice in this album, um, the motif, the chord motif from Steppin' Out comes in. 
And it's just those four notes, dun, 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 just four yep. notes. And you know exactly what it is. It's calling, it's hearkening back to his biggest hit. And um, that is supposed to sort of anchor it back to this night and day vibe, which it does, but it's just not as successful to me. The song I like best, I think is the one you mentioned, uh, Glamour and Pain. sure that it that that's what it was and then uh, getting ready to talk to you i found out that's pretty much what it is you yeah. confirm that mm-hmm. um so i like i like that um a lot it's kind of a different it feels almost like a show tune or something like that yeah the last song the last song stay is also nice but that's probably my least favorite just because it, it goes on kind of long it's a little lugubrious um but it's fine i just don't this is like this is one of the last albums you would need to check out if you were going to go on a Joe deep dive to me. That's fair. That's fair. Like it's a, it's a, it's a hard one in a way. It's a hard one. Mm-hmm. And I, it's funny. Like I've been listening to it more like, and a part of me is like, why do you keep pulling this out? But it's also, I find something about it interesting and I don't know what that is mm-hmm. yet, mm-hmm. but I'm going to keep diving into it. Not a favorite, but uh Okay. You know, definitely an interesting listen. I, I don't know if I pick my least favorite, so I'm going to say mine is probably Dear Mom, uh, mm. just because I'm not sure. Like, I, I try to understand the lyrics, and I don't really yeah. get what's going on there. <laughs> it's a weird one. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. But, this was also the first time I saw Joe in concert. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You saw this yeah. tour. So talk a little bit about that. It was great. My uh, then-girlfriend and I drove over from Utah and stayed the weekend with some friends. And uh, he was also in town he did a book signing or a book reading of cure for gravity oh wow before and so we went to the place where the book book reading was and we got there late and so they wouldn't let us in so we were standing in like the foyer outside of the room but so was he so he was standing right next to us waiting to go on stage to in this bookstore or whatever to read parts of his book but we didn't talk to him. We just, I mean, he's standing right next to us, you know, but we just kind of looked at him and looked away and he looked at us and looked at his feet. And <laughs> it was kind of awkward because we, he knew we, why we were there, but they wouldn't let us in. 
And um, <laughs> then the next night we were on, I think like the third row, but we were on the far, you know, when you, you're close, but you're on the uh, the far aisle. So you can't, yeah. you don't actually have a good view. Like the speakers are in the way and stuff. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Ugh. Yeah. That's where we were, but it was just beautiful. It, he's fantastic live. He's a great rock on tour. Um, the songs came to life just because I'm sort of on the fence about this album doesn't mean that the show was a disappointment at all. It was not. I loved it. I got a little taste of what this tour was like. I, I've been surfing YouTube, just watching various live clips, and I found, I don't know what it is for the time, but I don't know if it's like a press release thing that went out or what it is, but it's like a part of a performance from the Night and Day 2 tour interspersed with interview clips. Mm. And it's a really, I'll send it to you. It's really interesting. Okay. And I thought the way he rearranged some of the old songs was interesting, like the arrangement he was doing of Is She Really Going Out With Him, mm -hmm. kind of making it more salsa flavored. That was cool. Mm -hmm. uh, he gave Glamour and Pain to his violinist to sing. Mm -hmm. So it was a girl singing it. That was really interesting. Uh, and he was playing a guitar, which I thought, I was like, that's an interesting <laughs> development. I'm used to him behind a piano. That's weird. Mm -hmm. But yeah, And there's one thing he mentioned in like one of the interview snippets. It's kind of like you said, he's dipping his toe in here. He says at one point, like, yeah, I made a bunch of symphonic albums in the 90s. They didn't, they didn't really sell really well. So... <laughs> Mm -hmm. so he was very aware i think at this point like i need to kind of change direction again yeah. i need to at least try so yeah and i think if you call your comeback album night and day two you're signaling to the world what you're what you're doing you know yep hey guys it's me remember me the stepping out guy in night and day <laughs> everyone loves night and day i'm back here it is the sequel you know yep. yeah although honestly i think the real comeback the big the big one we've all been waiting for Vol Joe Jackson Band, Volume 4, released March 11th, lineup of Gary Sanford, Graham Maybe, and Dave Houghton. And uh -huh. this album, I love this record too. This is a great, great record. To me, it takes the sound of those early records and really refines it, like with what he's learned over the years. Um, kind of feels like a continuation of I'm the Man. I kind of mentioned that in the last episode. But there's tricks that Joe's learned over the years thrown in. Like a little, it's a little more piano heavy at times, but it's still very punky and aggressive. Like you check out a song like Fairy Dust, like that song is a chaotic punk number, but it's, I'll, I'll throw it away, but it's lyrically, it's kind of similar in the subject matter to Real Men. I love that song. Uh, Chrome is cool. It's a Steely Dan-esque type song. Awkward Age, probably my favorite and my pick from the album. I should have known you were only just 15. You had a scowl like a Klingon beauty queen. 
rocker. Um, I feel like we've all lived that song, you know, when we were like young and awkward and strange. Uh, definitely feels like he's singing to himself, like he's singing to the guy in the book. And uh, man, Love at First Light, such a gorgeous ballad. Yes. Uh, could be the second part of a story that starts on uh, Chrome, in a way, if you listen to those songs back to back. It's a song about catching feelings for someone, like kind of on a one night stand. In the previous song, he's talking to someone at a bar. Uh, man, this really cool. Dirty Martinis, kind of, you know, another Steely Dan esque track. And then my least favorite, even though I kind of think it's funny, is Thugs Are Us. Mm-hmm. It's a little, it might be a little politically incorrect now. It's a goofy little song, but it's, it's whatever. But overall, mm-hmm. this is one of my favorites. It's really strong. Um, I love this record. What do you think? Well, I'm going to burst your bubble a little bit. I don't <laughs> have it quite as, quite as much as you do. It's, um, so it's interesting. When this album came out, I was working for Tower Records in their corporate offices. And so oh. I would get free CDs and free concert tickets and everything. And I was so jazzed for this album to come out because I love Joe so much and reuniting with the old band. And like I said, I think I mentioned this in the last one. I got to go see him live on this tour. And um, my, my issue with this album, it's interesting going back over the, aside for after Blaze of, or uh, yeah, Blaze of Glory and Laughter and Lust, those last five albums I'm less familiar with because I've, I've listened to the other ones so many millions of times that these ones are, you know, I'm still, they're still growing on me. This one and Night and Day 2, I felt like I, my opinion of them went down and my opinion of some of the other ones we're going to talk about went up. I, um, this album to me sounds like an old cranky guy trying to sound hip and punky and, you know, current, but missing the boat songs like thugs are us, like you said, or little bit stupid. Um, (laughs) they're just, it's, it's things that like the cranky get off my lawn guy, the former punk, who's now not really punk, but is trying to act like he's a punk. These are the songs that guy would write. And uh, it just feels too obvious to me that that's what they are. That being said, they're, they're catchy songs. I think Take It Like a Man is probably my favorite. a second favorite i love that and fairy dust but um they're great they're performed well they're written just fine there's just this aspect of uh poser or past his he's not past his prime he's just not a punk anymore and he's trying to 
act like one. That's what it felt like to me. Interesting. Interesting take. Hmm. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, it, I, feel, I don't know. That's an interesting take on it. I, I, I still think it's kind of sincere, but I can yeah. see that in a way because I don't know that he's really after this. Like, yeah. maybe fool when we get into that one, but I don't feel like he's made a record of this intensity. True. Again, I don't, I don't think at least. And then, the ne- and then the next record, we'll, we'll get into a second, is a total, total, total. flip over from this yeah. one. Yeah. It's a, it is interesting to me. I think it was, you might remember better than me, I think it was the Graham Maybe interview that I did where they this came back together because everybody got to met up at Graham's wedding, I think it was. Yeah. And Joe had the they were Joe was gonna play at the wedding and it gave him the idea, well, what if we just got all the original guys back together? And um so they did. And this is what came out. And it's great, it's good. It's just uh it was a slight, I don't know. I would never reach for this over, you know, half of the other albums that we've been talking about. Hmm. Interesting. This was, this is one I had early on. Like I like I kind of got this one after uh shout out also to our friends at the Pods and Sods network. Mm-hmm. Uh mm-hmm. Craig and his buddy Ian did a Marana Phoenix episode on this album and hearing the snippets in that episode I was like, okay, this one sounds kind of cool. So mm-hmm. that, that kind of pushed me into this one, but yeah. Interesting record. I, I, you, I, I like, I like your thoughts on it. It's interesting to hear your take on this one too. Mm. So, nobody's right or wrong. Yeah. I, uh, and I just uh, that's my that's my read on it. You know. And again, you you saw this tour as well, and I did. you might be part of the live record, which is cool. <laughs> I know. I wish someone would tell me where and what song, because yeah, the the live album Afterlife. Part of it was filmed at the Fillmore in San Francisco, and I was there. And uh, but I don't know what was there, and neither do the, the guys in the band that I interviewed. So, <laughs> and it doesn't say in the liner notes, so I have no idea which one it is. I wish I knew. Come on, Ryko. T- come on, time I, for the truth. I know. Come on, Ryko. Yeah. Yeah. And then it seems like he kind of goes dark for a minute. I mean, I'm, he might have been touring in this period. I don't know, but there's a really long stretch between that album and the next one. Do you mm-hmm. like? just because I wasn't there at the time, do you know, was he taking time off? Uh, like, did you hear anything at the time or was he just kind of playing his hits for a while? That's a good question. What I, you know, it's interesting. So when I did those interviews, Gary Sanford, the original guitarist, just mentioned that he didn't want to come back or he sort of left the project or whatever. And he was, he was a slightly different or a difficult interview in the first place because he, didn't remember much and he was kind of pulling a lot of punches not being like very direct and because he had come and gone a couple of times already I didn't really press him on the topic but then when I was talking to Graham and Graham said and I was like what's the deal with rain and he says well I'm sure Gary told you that he and Joe had a falling out and that's why there's no guitar on this album and I and I didn't say it to Graham but I was like no he didn't tell me that that's huge. Now I know. So originally, Rain was meant to be the follow-up. It was supposed to be another Joe Jackson band album. I these songs are so soft and delicate. But I guess when you, I guess originally they were intended to sound just like the stuff on Volume Four. And uh, he and he and Gary Sanford had a falling out, and so they he pared it down to a trio. And I can't imagine these songs with guitar in them. But apparently, that's what they were originally intended for. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah that, that's a good segue into Rain, released January 28th, 2008. <laughs> 
guitar on this album. Same lineup minus Gary Sanford. Uh, I think some of the songs, like maybe Citizen Sane or uh, what's the one, King Pleasure Time, those maybe could have had guitar. But yeah, it's a very piano-reliant type of album. This is kind of the one... So I got this one early on, too, and I played it a few times, and I put it away. It just didn't really stick with me at first, and I'm not sure why. Uh, I pulled it out getting ready for this, and I enjoyed it more this time around. Um, Invisible Man's a great song. Uh, it could be about Joe in some ways. He's the Invisible Man, maybe because it doesn't really fit into any particular mold. song about not being afraid of your emotions uh citizen sane i really like that song too uh he busts out a lot of falsetto singing on this album i noticed like uptown train really going for that high r&b vocal it's interesting and then king pleasure time makes me laugh because i can't help but think of it being something trump's minions would say show respect get on your knees you can't reject his right to please like it just sounds like something that like the horrible people on Facebook would say it. Like the horrible <laughs> Trump supporters would say. It really does. It's a song about a political whack job and yeah. after last night it hits even harder. <laughs> yes. Like, Absolutely right. Absolutely and right. And probably my least favorite I'm gonna go is a uh, Good Bad Boy. Mm. So yeah. This this was a bit of a weird one for me. I don't I don't dislike it, but it's kind kinda like how, how you feel about Nine Damn weird on this one. Mm. So yeah, what do you think? This is the one that really grew on me. I uh, had, prior to talking with you, I had always felt the same way that it was kind of a little bit of an oddity, you know, it's just him and uh, the trio, no guitar. Their songs are soft. They're pretty. I, uh, when I'm in the mood for pretty Joe, maybe I'll pop this one on, but getting, listening to it again, to talk to you, it really struck me. I, uh, especially the first four songs, I think are fantastic. After that, it dips a little bit, but Invisible yeah. Man is an incredible tune. I think Wasted Time might be my favorite song on the album. Mm-hmm. 
songs that would have been on volume four a little bit um solo is nice but it's a little it's a little long goes on a little long a little drippy very dramatic um, yeah um i don't dislike or hate either one of those but yeah they're probably my you're probably the weak spots on the album but this is the one that grew on me i really enjoyed uh revisiting this album nice i'm glad and i realized i forgot i forgot to my pick my pick is going to be rush across the road Just want to kiss one Someone that we've loved solo and hey look more falsetto he was really you, into the he was really into the falsetto on this album i, I don't know why <laughs> like it's just something that he, he, he doesn't usually bust that out so it was just kind yeah. of strange to hear yeah. yeah yeah we should talk for a second about joe's voice because it's so unconventional you know it is it, uh, it works for what he's doing most of the time i don't think it works for what he's doing all of the time um you know, sometimes if he's going to play one of these ballads, 
he nails it like drowning or sad song or uh, different for girls or whatever. But then there are times when he tries to sing a ballad and it's not so great, like solo, you know, yeah. or to me stay on night and day too. So there, you get both, you know, but his voice is so unconventional and his look is unconventional and all of it that uh, when he gets it right, he's great. When he misses the mark, it's very noticeable. Oh yeah. To, yeah. to me, being a singer, he's to me, he's an interesting case. His voice has a lot of charisma, I think, in it. It's got a lot of attitude. It's got a lot of character. So his, he's not limited by his range in that. Like, just mm -hmm. like, because, because of his voice isn't playing at all, he's not limited by that. So in a way, he's got, he's got an advantage, even though he can't always, you know, sound the prettiest. He knows how to work with what he's got. He's kind of like Donald Fagan from Steely Dan in a way. Mm. I, think. I think he stole a lot of his, you know, mannerisms from Steely Dan, but he made them his own. I love that. Perfect, perfect comparison. You're right. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, he, he's a great, I, I think he's a good singer for what, for what he does. Mm -hmm. And he's kept his voice better than some people, I think. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of mm -hmm. people like it's, I watched a few videos from the full tour and I was really surprised like he can, he can still go for the high stuff sometimes, like the, those high little, <laughs> and is she really going out with him? He does them. He hits them. Yeah. Really amazing. So whereas yeah, he is, and not not to slam another artist, but I've been listening to a lot of Graham Parker lately, and mm. I checked out his most recent album. Mm. Sounds really different. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not bad, but it's yeah. really different. <laughs> I, uh, I love Graham a lot, but um, he fell off for me like in the early 80s and never quite got it back after oh. that. Oh, wow. So he fell off early for you. Wow. Well, like the first, yeah, I mean, he was great with the rumor and um, I don't know. It just gets spotty after that. His first like half a dozen albums are perfect start to finish. Okay. And so after that, you kind of have to pick through. Okay, yeah. yeah, so so Squeezy uh, Sparks is in there. Uh, good. I yes. I tend to think of that as an as a like maybe like a 82, 83 album, but I could be. Oh, I think that was seventy nine. Maybe. I'm okay. Wrong. Okay, so that's still an early one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, those first, um, yeah, his first, like I said, half a dozen or whatever, are great. And I like I like Mona Lisa's sister. I don't think it's quite as good as other people do. I'm a huge fan of Human Soul, which is like an early nineties album he did. That's almost hmm. Motowny. I love that album. But um, especially the last 20 years or so, it gets a little, little sketchy. Even the album he did where he brought, got back together with The Rumor, which you would think would be this, you know, triumphant return was a little watered down for me. Not just that anger, that spark was kind of missing. Anyway, we should do a Graham Parker inter, uh, podcast someday. I agree. Once I get through all these albums, I am definitely yeah. up for it. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned Human Soul, by the way. I literally just went on eBay today and bought a copy of that CD. Really? Yeah, Good. I did. Yeah, I'm excited. Please let me know what you think, because it's not considered one of his better ones. It didn't get good reviews or anything like that. The second half is like a suite, kind of like the second half of Abbey Road. It's sort of yeah. four or five songs kind of, that kind of flow into each other briefly. I love it. I think it's really good, but I'm kind of on an island with that one. I'm looking forward to it. That's going to be an interesting okay. listen then. Awesome. Good. And I got to shout out one more Graham Parker record before we get going. I think 1200 episodes is great. Mm -hmm. It's mellow, mm -hmm. but I like that record a lot. So mm -hmm. it is. Good one. And uh, next up next. Uh, so Joe goes into a bit of another longer stretch between albums. He might've done something. It might have involved Duke Ellington. We're not sure. Um, <laughs> All we know is there's this thing called the Duke out there. 
and it has his name on it. I, I, I try to pretend that didn't happen. I found footage from a alleged Duke tour and the set list was mostly Duke Ellington tunes and it oh, was goodness. awkward to say the least. I wouldn't go to that show if someone gave me a free free ticket. You would have left after the after the first two songs because the first two songs were "It's Different for Girls," "Is She Really Going Out with Him," and then he goes into like four or five Duke Ellington covers. I w- that's when I would have taken a nap. <laughs> <laughs> no <Well>, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So finally, October fifteenth, twenty fifteen, we get fast forward. supposed to be a, four EPs for four different cities, New York, Berlin, Amsterdam, New Orleans. He had a different band mem- different band members in each city and he recorded in each of those cities the songs that are on there and they're kind of supposed to have the vibe. And I think he pulls that off. I think it's a help and a hindrance because I feel like the songs are really strong, but the thing that hinders the record is the inconsistent theme, I think. And the other thing for me is it's a bit on the long side, kind of like Big World is, I think. But the, stuff, the, the highlights, man, fast forward, that's a great way to kick things off in New York. Uh, kind of, I relate to it as a song about feeling out of place in the era you were born in. Mm. Uh, if It Wasn't For You is one of my favorite Joe Jackson songs ever. If it wasn't for you, my friend, why should everything be such a fuss? It's so difficult to pretend that the living is easy. to do and I tell you where to go one on one is two but not because you tell me so if it wasn't for you I bet I could do better sleeping at night it's so difficult to forget every stupid and meaningless fight you say go Fine with me, then I wanna stay. Nowhere that I'd rather be. 
Simon Cobb song. Uh, the lyrics are great. It's talking about, you know, how in spite of, you know, all these differences, you know, with, he has with this person, he's still with them. Mm-hmm. And I love how the chorus, you know, kind of turns it around. Any joker or any king can be a sad bastard. And I'd be one too if it wasn't for you. You know, mm-hmm. like, like I, I could complain about this and it could really suck, but that's, that's really easy. Yeah. So, you know, it, I, I just think it's great. I love that song. Uh, King of the City has night and day vibes. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a song about growing up in the country and then moving to the big city, which is exactly what I did. And you're not able to see the stars anymore. Uh, in my top three on the album, great stuff. And then, like, Night and Day is the strongest, uh, not Night and Day, uh, New York is the strongest part mm-hmm. of the album for me. Mm-hmm. And then we get Amsterdam, which is, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, I like Far Away a lot. It's a gorgeous song where there's a little boy singing the first verse, of course, and then Joe does the second. Mm-hmm. Um, it's supposed to be the kid, the adult, and it's a song about, you know, how our fears kind of change as we get older. So that's cool. Uh, Junkie Diva is a cool little pop song. Um, if I could see your face as a Middle Eastern vibe, and that's what I've been trying to like wrap my head around. Is he talking about religious extremists? Is he kind of taking a dig at a certain religion? I'm not sure, but it's very dark and ominous. I like the organ solo on that one. And yeah. then the last one I wanted to uh, name check was uh, Ode to Joy. It's very percussive. It's a great song to wrap things up. And it's just literally a song about being joyful when it enters your life. Mm. And uh, probably my least favorite is Goodbye, Johnny, which is a cover mm-hmm. of an old cabaret number. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, this is the other album, Like Rain, that I ended up liking more than I thought I did. Um, this one, I'll be honest, the, these last two, I haven't, I haven't heard them that many times. So I listened to them both, I think maybe twice when they came out, and then another time or two to get ready to talk to you. So these songs aren't as in my blood, as much as the other ones are. Um, I'm with you, Kings of the, of the City is my favorite song on the album as well.
But we don't see the stars anymore I do think, you know, I uh, I appreciated a lot more this time the differentiation in the cities. I did feel like I felt that more. Like, for instance, the Amsterdam songs, a lot of them felt like they had strings, you know, that yep. they uh, featured strings more than some of the others. And Kings of the City, like you said, did have that night and day vibe. Um, so I felt that the, the concept a lot more this time than I did before. And I enjoyed that part. I felt like I was kind of taking a ride. It was like, let's see what Joe thinks Berlin sounds like or New Orleans sounds like, you know? I'm with you, Goodbye Johnny is is up there. I, I didn't love Keep On Dreaming. It was the second to last song, only because we were talking about his vocal tics. He comes yeah. in really hot, singing about God and everything. And it just was a little too jarring for me. The song settles into some nice instrumentation, but. Uh, his, like I said, his voice can be a deterrent once in a while, and that was an yeah. example of it. I do think we should talk about his covers because his choice to do a cover of "See No Evil," the television song, yeah, which makes perfect sense in an, in on the New York part of the album. I, I brought this up when I had Tom Teeley on the on the podcast talking about "Laughter and Lust." Joe doesn't do a lot of covers. I mean, he might do an entire Duke album or Jump and Jive album. But yeah. on his pop stuff, there's Oh Well from Fleetwood Mac, and there's See No Evil from television. There's a couple others here and there, but not a bunch. And I just would love to know, for a guy who's so prolific and doesn't do a lot of covers, what makes you decide which ones you think are worthy of you doing, you know? Like, why See No Evil? Of that of, you could have, done any, could have done anything. Why did you do that one? You right. Know? I did, he, I did read some interviews for this record, and he said originally he was going to do a cover song to relate to each city, but he couldn't find mm-hmm. one he liked for every city. And See No Evil was his manager's idea, so that's where that mm-hmm. one came from, Okay, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah uh, makes sense. Like, he thought um, about doing uh, for, I think for Berlin, he thought about doing the Alabama song that oh, Bowie also covered. Yeah. But, but he said he was going to do it, but they remembered Bowie covered it, so he mixed oh. the idea. Okay, okay. Yeah, I uh, this was an album that I appreciated a lot more. I when I first when it first came out, I listened to it a few times and I thought, okay, I don't know that I'll need it, but I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Hmm. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I did warm up to it a little more this time around. Like I said, it's a bit long, but yeah, there's some great stuff on here, and the different vibes is is really interesting. I think, and he's at an, at this point in his career, he's at a really interesting place. Like he's kind of reestablished himself. He's doing the pop, well, poppy herb music again, not not full on pop, mm-hmm. but you know I feel like I don't know he's kind of back in a groove here in a way, yeah. which is really cool to see. And one last thing on the covers, it's interesting. I notice he does a lot of covers live. It seems like like every yes. tour he'll have one or one or two, but he never records mm-hmm. them. Like uh, I got that uh, "Summer in the City" live album recently, and mm-hmm. I was listening to that. And he does "Summer in the City." He does a Duke Ellington song. He does a Steely Dan song, uh, "King of the World." Um, I think there's one other one on there too. He co- Eleanor mm. Rigby. He does Eleanor Rigby, mm. which is really cool. So yeah, yeah I, I, I'd be curious even like, cause he came up playing cover songs in pubs. I'd be mm-hmm. curious to hear a Joe Jackson covers album, even though I'd rather have like fresh material. I'd mm-hmm. be curious because like I've seen videos, like 
when he did ABBA's Knowing Me, Knowing You, that was really good. So mm. I'd be curious to see what an album covers for him would look like. You're right. And I, you know, sometimes I feel like that's, it's kind of a desperate move for some artists, but I don't, I don't think that would be for Joe. I think it would be really interesting to hear what he would do. And you remember in the early days of Napster, when you would just find the strangest covers and live bootlegs and people doing odd songs out there on the internet that you didn't even know existed. I found Joe doing, um, you can't be too strong. The Graham Parker song. Oh, wow. And I downloaded it. I've got it somewhere. It's just him and a piano. It's I mean, that song is, gorgeous anyway but joe doing it it i wouldn't say it makes it better but it's a very respectful honorable uh version of that song i you're, i'm with you i would love to hear what a joe really thought out joe covers album was especially if it doesn't include anything by duke ellington <laughs> exactly no 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 duke ellington like let's do let's That's do right. your, your your best That's... your best pop covers <laughs> right all right so after that he does something interesting he tours for fast forward and then right at the end of the tour he spends two days recording the next album and it kind of sits and in january last year january 19th 2019 which feels like it was years ago now mm. <laughs> he released fool gone and shove it in my face how i should join the human race or maybe whisper in my ear Whatever I should wanna hear Like I'm a fashion star or fool Who didn't go to snooty school I get it wrong on the remotes And even wrong when I vote All for one and one for all and all and all and all and all Tell me what I want Tell me what I feel You're so fabulously is kind of a celebration like he said you know celebrating 40 years of making music uh to me this is the classic joe jackson sound if there is one the yeah. piano's there it's kind of punky has some shades of like the steely dance-esque sound um a lot of highlights on this one for me i love big big black cloud mm -hmm. it's kind of a rocking song to kick things off mm -hmm. uh fabulously absolute is a chaotic fun little punk song mm -hmm. my second favorite song on the album it's yeah. a throwback to the early joe jackson uh, a song about how you're always going to be wrong in someone's book, no matter what you do. <laughs> and I love his vocal delivery. It's very animated and exaggerated. You know, I'm a filthy troglodyte. <laughs> it's just great. It's, I love it. Uh, Strangeland is a kind of airy little piece uh, about that's kind of stops and goes a lot. It kind of tricks you into thinking it's over. And then mm. the piano creeps back in. And it's kind of like a song about not being sure where you're at, either literally or metaphorically. And then that title track, man, that's a killer song. Song. It's very interesting musically. It's got like, I don't know, sitar in it, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And it's about the importance of humor and the people that make us laugh. You know, he who has a little tiny wit, wit better make sure that he uses it. Long live the jester. <laughs> Great song. And then my pick is going to be uh, 32 Kisses.
another miracle, another tear, another birthday, another card, another memory from so near, so far. I saw you grow, I saw it all from a sad song about reflecting on a past relationship but the melody and the music really yeah. have that classic joe at his piano type ballad vibe and i just i just mm -hmm. love it alchemy alchemy uh, alchemy mm -hmm. is a very cool way to end the album it's a really smoky jazzy song mm -hmm. and to me it's a song about performing so i really i really dig this one um i place this really high but that might just be because uh i got this from, like right after it came out and i really dug it so yeah i like this one i think it's his uh strongest post laughter and lust album what do you think i would probably agree with you on that it's um it like you said it's a really nice untethered joe album it's like we've said everything he his creativity seems to constantly be sparked by some kind of an idea or a concept whether it's a trio album with no guitar or it's returning the night and day or it's recording songs in four different cities this just feels like him doing what he does and it it harkens back to something like the laughter and lust album which is just writing great pop songs and rock songs and putting them out there without having to overthink a concept to make them all fit and uh so i i like this album a lot too i don't think it's i don't think it's perfect but it's as good a representation of what joe's really about when he just sticks to the plan and kind of makes pop rock music. I think it's great. My favorite song is the first one, Big Black Cloud. again is just silliness you know and it goes back to that's what i say I, I, you know joe's just 
sense of humor can be really biting and clever, or it can just be really lame and over the top. And Dave, to me, is this character study of some weird guy named Dave, and it just doesn't work. He sings in like a character voice and everything. I didn't need it. It distracts from the strength of the rest of the album. But in general, The Fool is a real good return to form for Joe. Agreed. Agreed, yeah. It, it was, it's very celebratory in tone, I think, in a way. Like, this album is a, is a celebration. And then I think the tour after this, like, even though I didn't get to see it, although I wish I had, um, mm. was right, right near me, and I didn't go. <laughs> and I'm kicking myself now. But, man, the set list was really good. And, like, even though I don't mind he rearranges stuff sometimes, he kind of kept true to most of the original arrangements for the tour, mm. which is, seems really cool. And... I don't know, it just seemed like, you know, like a, a bit of a victory lap in, in a way before, yes. like, whatever he's going to do next. It was. So, yeah, yeah definitely. And it you got to see this tour, too. I did. And, uh, you know, I was comparing it when I saw it to the first time I saw him with Night and Day 2, and there were so many musicians on the, on the stage, understandably, because these, it's so kind of the spectrum of sounds and musicianship on that album is much wider I really was impressed. There was just the four guys out there from the band and they captured the magic of this album and so many of their other hits. It was a really enjoyable show. Those four guys made such a great sound collectively and certain songs like Stepping Out or whatever, or Is She Really Going Out With Him? Yes, he changes them up night after night to keep himself interested. I like that, I'm okay with that. I've seen him enough times now, you know? But um, yes, this was a really great show. It just confirms that anytime Joe is coming through town, I'm interested, unless it's the Duke. <laughs> unless it's the Duke. Yeah, no. the, Duke, the Duke or night, uh, what, what was it? Night music you didn't really like? Night music is terrible. Yes. <laughs> it's funny, uh, quick note on night music. I found some footage from that tour and I was watching it. And one of the songs from the album actually kind of perked my ears up. I'm not gonna lie, I like the oh. man. The man who wrote Danny Boy is not a bad song. Yeah, there are, I bought that CD uh, years ago <laughs> and I think I ripped two songs off of it into iTunes and then I got <laughs> rid of it. But then I found it again a year or so ago for like a buck and I thought, what the heck, I'll just buy it again. It'll you know, work to complete my whole Joe Jackson library or whatever. It's yeah. just not the one I'm gonna pull out very often. Yeah, that, and that's fair. Like, yeah. I actually ordered it because on the strength of that song. I don't know if I'm going to like it that much, but I want to at least try it because yeah. that song surprised me. I thought it was an interesting idea. Yeah. And that, yeah. But yeah. So to kind of bring it all home, this is a guy that's been all over the place, done whatever he's wanted to. And uh, he's been very creative. And I think he will continue to be creative mm -hmm. after this. I mean, I kind of wonder, you know, part of me wonders, like, is he just chilling in quarantine or is he crafting... <laughs> Like the, like the next, you know, maybe Night and Day 3 or I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know, like some, some really cool album that's just going to blow, blow us away. Like, you know, he's not, a, he's not on social media a lot, unlike a lot of other mm -hmm. artists. So it just, it leaves you wondering, there's a little mystique, yeah. like what's, what's he building in there? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder the same thing. And he's so creative that you just have no idea what it could be, you know, no idea. Right. It could, it, the next album could be the best thing he's ever made, or we could mm -hmm. get, Hey, here's more Duke Ellington covers. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah. Uh, um, so how do you rank these albums? All right. Let's, uh, I actually wrote this down on my phone. Uh, so I'm go I'll go first then. I'm going to go. So from least favorite to favorite. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Plays of Glory, mm-hmm. Rain, Fast Forward, Night and Day 2, Volume 4, Fool, Laughter and Lust. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, mine's a little different than yours. So, <laughs> <laughs> seventh to first, Night and Day 2, Volume 4, um, Fast Forward, Fool, Rain, Blaze of Glory, Laughter and Lust. Nice. Yeah. Nice. All right. Yeah. Nice. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Like I said, and, you know, Blaze of Glory, you know, it's made, I could totally see my opinion changing on that album one day. Like, mm-hmm. I could, like, it's, it's, I'm, I haven't given up on it in a way. Like, I'm, st- I still am going to pull it out every so often and just go, let me try again. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. That was another one. Like I said, that one, Rain and Fast Forward were really the three that getting ready to talk to you rose up, in my opinion. And uh, Volume Four and um, the other one, Night and Day Two, went back down a little yeah. bit. I don't know what it was. And that's the thing. I mean, like, even getting ready to, just before we hopped on here, I went back to my favorite and least favorite to confirm why I felt the way that I did about each one. And some yeah. of the ones that I pulled up as my least favorite, I thought, are these really and truly? This is your least favorite? And I thought, I don't. I don't know. That must have been how I felt at the time when I decided, <laughs> you know, you just never know. And that's kind of the thing with Joe. I mean, he plays, he does what he wants for every mood. I guess he's got music for every mood too, you know? Yep. And sometimes okay. it changes. Yep. I agree. Yeah. So one last thing to wrap this all up. So I feel like in the post COVID world, it's going to be a little harder for artists to tour, especially mm-hmm. for some of these legacy acts who don't exactly, you know, fill the bigger rooms anymore. You think it's going to be well, a while, like a long, long while before we see like a Joe Jackson type tour? Or do you think maybe, just maybe once this all opens up, we'll get a second round of dates for that, you know, 40 years tour? Yeah. I, uh, I'm torn on this. I think, I think once things open back up, every band there is, is going to go back out on tour. And it's going to be, I mean, think about all of the, bands or shows or tours you've already seen that are getting pushed to that now have 2021 dates. Yeah. It's going to be like every night next year is going to be like four options for a good concert. And I think, and I wonder too, if it's maybe probably not Joe so much because I don't think Joe is hurting for money, but his band like Graham, maybe um, those guys need to pay their bills. They and, do. You know, and Joe may just go back out on tour to help the rest of the guys in his band, assuming he's nice enough to do that, which honestly, we don't know. He might be too prickly to care, you know. Um, But yeah, I think as soon as things open up, I think it's going to be a barrage of artists you want to see coming out in concert because they're desperate to start making some money. And uh, I think we're going to be inundated with choices, you know. I hope so. I hope so. Cause yeah. man, I, I miss shows. I don't know how many you, you were going to regularly, but I went to quite a few. So me too. Me too. Yeah. And, uh, the first couple months of the, of COVID and everything, I didn't mind so much, but it is starting to hit me now. I don't know about you, but every, just about every day when you see your Facebook memories and, yeah. uh, you know, it's two or three shows that I went to on this day over the last 12 years or whatever. And you're just like, man, I want to go back to that so bad. 
you know? Yeah, I know. Like, I, like this last week, you know, I keep bringing up Steely Dan. I, like, I saw, like, I saw Steely Dan a year ago, and, like, mm. I was like, God, that was a fun show. And, like, I have, like, the little memories you have, you know, it, you, you, you miss it. Even, like, the little, like, you know, crazy stuff that ha- happens that, like, isn't so fun at the time. Like, the, mm-hmm. like, that's just a fun aside on the Steely Dan show. Like, it was, it was weird. It was by the water in, like, a harbor. And they have us on these like really low to the ground chairs. So if the dude in front of me raises his cell phone, I'm not going to be able to see Donald Fagan. Oh, wow. So, and, and the, but they were really strict on the cell phone policy and it seemed like mm-hmm. people forgot at one mm-hmm. point. So it got to this weird section of the show where he played a bunch of deep cuts and I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm loving this. And then he goes, let's do one you know. And Riggy don't lose that number starts. Mm-hmm. And the cell phones go up. And down the aisle come people in red shirts, and they're just smacking phones down. <laughs> That's great. Well, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I miss I stuff know. like that. Me too. I wish. I hope it happens. Nice. But yeah, that was uh, that was the catalog of Joe Jackson. A great mm-hmm. catalog. I recommend anybody listening check it out. John, thanks so much for doing this. I think I may take your idea under advisement. We may have to do next year we may hit part three and mm-hmm. talk about the album that, that neither of us want to talk about but okay. I'll, I'll sit i'll sit through i'll sit through it once i'll sit through it once I'm not, <laughs> well, and that's what i mean is maybe it's like an instant reaction you know thing to jump and jive and willpower and uh heaven and hell and all the other weird oddities in his i mean don't get me wrong i'm not dying to listen to any of these Again, but if we really wanted to complete the full circle, maybe we do that to each other at some point. Maybe we do that, and we make and the and the relief is the Graham Parker series. Yes. <laughs> although, according to you, like although, like I know you're kind of, kind of think the catalog is a little spotty. That might get rough for you too, though. No, 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 no. Even uh, I'd rather listen to Graham's worst album than the Duke. So there's no, <laughs> no problem there at all. That's good. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well. Thanks again for doing this, man. Uh, once Anytime. again, uh, check out the hustle. Uh, John's out there interview, interviewing so many great people. I didn't, I think you just posted an interview with, with uh, was it was it Mickey Curry? Yeah, yeah. We just did three great all-time great drummers in a row. We did Russ Kunkel, who's one of the most called-after, sought-after session guys in history. And then after that, we did Tris Imboden who played for decades with Chicago and before that Kenny Loggins and a lot of other people. And then we closed it out with uh, Mickey Curry, who's played also with a ton of people, primarily Holland Oates and Brian Adams, two artists that I love. And nice. Mickey, all three of them were really great guys, Mickey especially. So yeah, we, um, I'm just trying to uncover the as many cool, fun stories as I can and share them with the listeners, you know? Nice. And that guy that played with Kenny Loggins, just because I've heard you talk before, and I know some of your stories. Did he play on Vox Humana? Because I know that's an important album for you. You read my mind, Alex. Um, that was like <laughs> my first thing that I asked him about, just about. And uh, he only played on like one song. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, he likes to say that he may not have played on every Kenny Loggins song, but he played on most of Kenny Loggins' hits. And so that's kind of his badge of honor. I originally went out to him because I was hoping he would come on and then we could do it and he would maybe come back and do a deep dive of Vox Humana with yes. us. But uh, he wasn't, he doesn't know the album. He didn't play on it, you know, okay. intimately enough to do that. So I'm still looking. But 
Anyway. Maybe someday. I'm still looking for a copy of that album because I, lo- I like the songs I've heard from it, but I, that's uh-huh. not any log itself that I don't have yet. So, I like it a lot. I can't promise that anyone else will love it as much as I do, but it's just a really smooth R&B album from a white guy with a great singing voice. And uh, it's That title the first track is... Cas- yes. This title track is great, and it was the first cassette I ever got from Santa in 1985 when I was 12 years old. Nice. And so it just means a lot to me. Nice. So, yeah. oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, till next time, uh, I'm your host, the Sly Dog. Peace, love, and music. And no Duke. <laughs> if it wasn't for you, my friend, why should everything be such a fuss? It's so difficult to pretend that the living is easy. to do and I tell you where to go one on one is two but not because you tell me so if it wasn't for you I bet I could do better sleeping at night it's so difficult to forget every stupid and meaningless fight you say go
Thank you for listening to the Sly Dog Music Cast. If you want to know what's going on, follow me on Twitter at Sly Dog Music Cast or Facebook at Sly Dog Music Cast. Thanks again for listening. Peace, love, and music.